Let me start off this morning by uh, asking you a question. Don't answer out loud, but ponder it. Think about it. And the question is this. You'll see it behind me. Do you remember the first time you heard or saw the term born again? I have uh, four distinct m memories. I, I grew up in Southern California. Uh, as many of you know, some don't know, uh, in a non-believing, non-practicing Jewish home. Um, and so it was not a term that I, I grew up with. I wasn't familiar with, but I have four distinct memories in chronological order. Um, the first one was dad used to take my sister and I um, down to downtown San Diego. We'd get some food, we'd goof around. And he always loved um, to drive around something called Horton Plaza. Now there's shops and it's super ritzy and still a little sketchy now, but it was really sketchy back then. It was the bus terminal and it was kind of where everything converged in San Diego and there would be prostitutes, there would be pimps, there would be drug addicts, there'd be homeless people, there'd be business people. And there'd always be a guy like this, literally every time, uh, preaching. And I remember one time we were driving by, roll down the windows, because uh, you can do that in San Diego all the time because the weather's great. And um, uh, the guy said, you must be born again. He was screaming at people. I looked at my dad and I said, dad, what, what is that? What's going on? And my dad said this, and I quote, he said, Lee Jr., don't pay attention. That guy's crazy. Second, second one was we were driving, um, uh, and I, I'm not exactly sure where, but someone had in their yard on their property a sign that, uh, that said this, you must be born again. And, and literally, I said, to, I said to my dad, I'm like, what, what does that mean? He said, ignore it. Those people are crazy. Uh, third one. 1976, Jimmy Carter. Um, you may that's a magazine, by the way. Google that. That's a magazine, no longer in existence, I don't think. And uh, uh, he ran for president in 1976. Please tell me you know that, please. And uh, he won. And people say, um, experts at the time say, one of the things that got him, one of the things that got him over the top for the first time ever in the history of the United States, a president used the term what? You know it. I'm born again. I'm born again. I remember telling my dad, I'm like, dad, what's up with this guy? I'm, I'm 11 years old. He goes, don't pay any attention. He's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the fourth one. Um, in my neighborhood, you can put that up there. That's a hippie. Uh, if you're from the South, maybe you're not familiar with that. In Southern California, they were, they grew on trees. They're everywhere. And, uh, uh, even where I lived, I lived inland. I didn't live on the ocean. I lived inland. There were still plenty of hippies. And my two best friends in the world, Philip and John McChrystal, they were twins, identical twins, lived on my block. And uh, they had this um, older sister who dated um, a drug addict, a guy just like this, seriously. Um, and uh, uh, he, he, he converted. He had a spiritual conversion, yet he still looked like a drug addict, but he had a spiritual conversion. And we were down there hanging at their house one day, which we often did. And he looked at me and he said, dude, dude, you must be born again. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? I went home, told my dad, the drug addict told me, former drug addict, I must be born again. My dad said, he's a drug addict. Don't listen to him. He's crazy. He's crazy. Right? Um, so for my entire life until I was 17, when I thought of the term born again, all I could think of was angry street preachers, weird signs, politicians um, who'd use it to get elected, former drug addicts. It sounded like to me that only messed up people, weird people, were born again. Today we're going to learn about a conversation that Jesus had with a guy named Nicodemus. It's not included in any of the other 
Gospels, but arguably might be the most important conversation in the entire New Testament. So please do me a favor, if you have not already, open your Bibles or your Bible devices to John chapter 3 as we continue our series in the Gospel of John. John chapter 3. As we unpack this question, I want you to, to see it behind me because this is the question that Jesus is posing in our text, in our conversation this morning. Are you born again? Are you born again? John chapter three and verse one. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. We have to stop here for just a second and, and ask this question. Who are the Pharisees? Well, for those of you who are new to the Bible, um, and that's great. Let me introduce them to you. Many of them memorized all of the Old Testament. They were the most dedicated of the, the dedicated. They were SEAL Team 6 of the religious elite of that day. This was such an elite group that there was never more than 6,000 in existence at any time in history. We often think when we read um, the Gospels and, and things that we've seen, right? You watch The Chosen, you're like, bad dudes, Villain. Back in, in that day, they were the heroes. Sadducees were liberal. They were woke. Pharisees were supernaturalists. They believed in a supernatural God. They, they believed in the Bible, right? They were the elite of the elite. If you take a peek at verse 10, you can scroll down there. It's not on the screen. You find Nicodemus was also called Israel's teacher. Some translations, um, a, he literally was the teacher of Israel. I want you to notice Nicodemus was not called a teacher. He wasn't like, I, I, you're one of the teachers of Israel. He was called the teacher, Israel's teacher. It's possible that he was considered the best or the greatest of all teachers at that time. So just to clarify, he wasn't a street preacher screaming at people or a dude with a sign in his yard telling people to repent or a former drug addict desperate for any sort of religion. Nicodemus was one of the elite 6,000 Pharisees. He was also one of the 70 in the Sanhedrin. And he was the Definite article, the teacher of Israel. Um, you don't have to write this down, but remember this. Nicodemus' life and religious resume were amazing. I mean, phenomenal. Verse 2, he came to Jesus at night. Now, there's not controversy here. Some people have all these different reasons why he came to Jesus at night. You've probably heard for years he came because he didn't want to be caught he didn't want to be seen with Jesus in the day, so he snuck in at night. I, I don't believe that. I believe Nicodemus was busy. Jesus was busy. This was the best time to have time with Jesus. That's my view. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, um, that's honor. He honors him. Uh, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not, not with him. Basically, Nicodemus says this, I teach a class on miracles, but you actually do miracles. Right? He's either heard about or actually seen Jesus heal people. Like with Jesus, blind people see, deaf people hear, lame people walk, and, and I mean, it's just happening. And Nicodemus wants to figure out why. Verse three, Jesus replied, very truly, I, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless, here's the big idea, they are, are born again. Some translations, born from above. In that day, everything was about the kingdom of, of God. 
Who's the king? When's the king coming? How do you get in the kingdom? And Jesus says, you, you can't even see. Forget about getting into the kingdom. For, forget about the king. You can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't get close to the king and the kingdom of God unless um, you are, are born again. And Nicodemus is totally confused. He's like, I do everything right. I do everything. I'm, I love God. I memorize scripture. I, I walk old ladies across the street. I give my falafel to the pole. I, I do everything right. So he says in verse four, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they, they cannot enter a second time into their, in their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus isn't stupid. He's, he's taking a jab at Jesus. Like, what are you saying? Jesus answered very truly, I, I tell you. Um, he, boy, Jesus is on point here. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. The theologians differ uh, on the meaning of verse five. Some say it refers to literally being born physically from a woman, the water aspect, or being baptized. But quite frankly, the majority of biblical scholars, of which I agree, would, would say that Jesus probably had Ezekiel 36 in mind um, when he answers Nicodemus. Ezekiel 36, I'll unpack it in just a few minutes. It's a very famous Old Testament passage that Nicodemus, as an Old Testament scholar, would have known quite well. And it promised today when God would take away um, hard, stony hearts and give to his people um, new, soft, pliable hearts, and he would wash them with clean water. There's the water. And then he would replace that heart and put his capital S, spirit, inside of them. Jesus seems to be saying, that's what I have in mind, Nicodemus, born of water and the spirit, a heart washed clean and a new heart created and inhabited by Holy Spirit. Verse six, he goes on. Nicodemus' flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. What's he saying here? This is real simple. He's basically saying, um, when you're born of the flesh, that's your natural birth. When you're born of the spirit, that's your supernatural birth. Verse seven, you should, again, kind of rebukes him. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you, you must be born again. And now Jesus, he's going to compare Holy Spirit to the wind. Uh, by the way, um, Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He's a person. But Jesus is using an analogy to illustrate the, the power and the presence of Holy Spirit. Verse eight, the wind blows, um, Jesus is speaking, wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And we know this about the wind, don't we? I mean, you can't control the wind. It just does whatever it wants to do. Sometimes when we're getting ready to go outside and Ruth has got her hair looking just perfect, which is all the time. And um, she says, is it gonna be windy? I'm like, I, I, maybe. Okay, and we get outside, and, and, and it's kind of calm, and then you drive, and you get out, and the wind's picked up, and she's like mad at the wind. It's messing with my hair. Make it stop. I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll try. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do my best. And the wind's like, I do what I want, buddy. <laughs> I pray, kind of, sort of, convince myself that it works. Usually not. It keeps blowing, right? We can yell at the wind, but it doesn't really listen. 
It does what it wants and it goes where it pleases. And what Jesus is saying about Holy Spirit is, is uh, the Holy Spirit is like that. He is powerful and he is free and he is unpredictable. Now, some people struggle with Holy Spirit because of abuses. You saw some crazy uh, TV preacher. You were driving around Horton Plaza and some crazy charismatic preacher was screaming at you and talking about the Holy Spirit. And you're like, man, and so you've thrown the baby out the bathwater. You're like, Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. You don't know what to do with Holy Spirit. And you struggle um, because you like a God that is always predictable and does kind of what you want. You know, step one, step two, step three, step four, repeat the process, follow the directions. The ministry of Holy Spirit can at times be unpredictable. Um, sometimes, you ready for this? He does things where you and I go, well, <laughs> I wouldn't have done it that way, but that was pretty amazing. That was pretty amazing. Like, I, that wouldn't have been my plan of action, but wow, you, Holy Spirit, you did something different and um, you saved somebody from drugs. You changed generational sin in, in a family. You called someone out of darkness into your glorious light through a method. I, I didn't see it coming. So, end of verse eight, what does it mean to be born of the spirit? What, what he's talking about here is a new birth, a supernatural spiritual birth by the ministry and power of Holy Spirit. And this was promised and prophesied in the Old Testament. I, I, I told you we'd come back to this. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in, in you and move you to follow my decrees and, and be careful to keep my, my laws. So the promise was made that God would take out of our heart of stone and replace it with with Holy Spirit, what God is saying is you don't need to just be a better you. People say that to me all the time. I'm sharing the gospel with them. Like, I gotta get my life together before I come to God, before Jesus accepts me. What he's saying is you don't just need to be a better you, you need to be a new you. You need to be a new you. So he takes out the old you and he puts in a new you. He takes out the hard heart and he puts in a, a tender heart. He takes out the foolish heart and he put, puts in a wise heart. He, he literally puts in us as children of God, the spirit of God. So how does this happen? Is there something, is this something that God does or is this something that, that I do? So again, I want you to see it behind me. Here's the question. How does someone get born again? Now, some would say, um, you choose God. And when you choose God, um, you're born again. But, but to me, and this is where I'm at, take it for what it's worth. The question arises, can you choose God from your old heart? And my answer would be no, because the old heart doesn't love God or long for God or listen to God. Let's look at Ezekiel 36 again. You ready? And I've underlined a few things. I, I, who's the I there? It's God. It's God. 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow, move you, move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. How many times does God say I will? Three. So who does it? Who gives a new heart? God says, I, I do, and, and I will, because apart from the new heart, we are spiritually dead. This is the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. What, what he's saying is, is, Nicodemus, you're physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. Jesus is lovingly, yet systematically, tearing apart Nicholas's impressive religious resume. Now, now let me ask you this, and you know, you know the question, you don't have to shout it out, but is Nicodemus spiritual? You bet he is. Um, he knows the Bible. He teaches uh, classes about God. He goes to synagogue. He obeys all the feasts and festivals. He ties the percentage of his income. He doesn't eat any of the pork products. That's sad, but that was how it was. As a matter of fact, the first five books of the Old Testament have over 600 laws, and Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, and a teacher would have had to have memorized all of them. And, and, by, and by his um, best ability, he obeys them all. I want us to see this. He's really, really spiritual. But he doesn't have the spirit. We can be spiritual, but it doesn't matter if we don't have Holy Spirit. This is why there are people that are very devout. Like Christians come to me all the time as though I'm some authority because I'm a pastor, I'm a paid religious professional, and they're mad at other Christians who aren't living right, and they're like, Pastor! It's like they're telling on Christians. I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do? Pastor, there's Christians that aren't living like Christians, and there's unbelievers that are more devout than Christians. And I'm like, yeah, there are. You bet. Without a doubt. This is why there are people that are, are very devout. They're spiritual. They're good people. They do good things. They might even pray. They might know some scripture. Um, they help people out um, but they don't know Jesus because they don't have Holy Spirit. For the Christian, for the true follower of Jesus, Christianity begins and ends with Holy Spirit. Now this is the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. You're physically alive, but spiritually dead. And sometimes dead people do spiritual things, but the Bible calls those dead works. So here's what the Bible says about this. This is just a little bit. There's hundreds of verses. Let me give you a few. Ephesians chapter two and verse one. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Ephesians two verses four and five. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. What the Bible is saying is that people who don't know Jesus are physically alive, but spiritually dead. Now, I don't know about you, but what kind of decisions do dead people make? None. It's, it's a universal truth. Dead people tell no tales and they make no decisions. It's a little tense in the room right now. 
You're like, whoa, man, you're messing with my thing. I don't know where to go with this. Let me help you. So this begs the question, how does a dead person decide that they're going to have a relationship with Jesus? Now, before we answer that, one more scripture, Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, hey, you ready for this? No one seeks God. So here's the point. Nicodemus is physically alive, but spiritually dead. He does some spiritual things, but he doesn't have Holy Spirit. He does, how does someone like Nicodemus go from life to death? How do they get the old heart taken out and put the new heart in? Is it something that they do or is it something that God does? And the answer is yes. Yes, it's something that God does. And yes, it's something that we're involved in. On the one hand, um, none of us birthed ourselves. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. We can all agree on that. We don't birth ourselves physically. And Jesus' point here with Nicodemus is you don't birth yourself spiritually. We don't cause ourselves to be born physically, and we don't cause ourselves to be born again spiritually. But you say, Lee, wait a second. I thought we were supposed to cry out to God. Trust in Jesus for our salvation. Choose God. We are out of the new nature and the new heart. Let me ask you this. Um, who in here has just had a baby? And don't lie, because we just did a baby dedication. Yeah, raise your hand re real high. Not, father's not you personally, but you, you, your wife had a baby. Okay, good, good, good. Um, what happens when a, a baby is born? You know this. If you're in the room, uh, dads, and I think that's the deal now, right? You're not in the lobby smoking a cigar like they used to, but you're in the room, right? And they give birth, they bring the baby over, and you're waiting for the baby to what? Cry. Look at the dads, they're like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Mommy immediately, cry. Cry. Because we know they're alive when they cry. <laughs> like, they, they pink up, they, they get air, and the, they're okay. The baby is born, and we wait for them to cry, and they cry, and we're happy, and then they keep on crying, and we're not so happy, but that's another story, right? But they cry in the same way we know that we're born again when we cry out to God. God, I love you. I need you. Jesus, forgive me from my sins. Just like a child that is born cries out, so a child of God that's born again cries out to God. Back to our earlier question. How does someone go from death to life? How do they get the old heart taken out and the new heart put in? Is it something they do or is it something that God does? The answer is yes. Yes, it's something that God does, and yes, it's something that we're involved in. We do choose God. We do long for God. We do confess our sins to God. We do trust in God after he changes our hearts. And to me, this is a mystery. It, it's I, I, I just, there's too many scriptures. There's too many personal testimonies, my own personal testimony. This is a mystery. I don't understand it fully. Um, I, I, I don't. Let me say this. Some of you are, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but you're brand new Christians, and you don't even know what happened to you. But something has changed in your life. When I was 17 um, years of age, for months and months and months, a buddy of mine invited me to youth group, and then I went to the church. Um, um, but I wasn't a believer. I wasn't born again. A man in the church bought me a, a Bible. 
And every time I, and I'm, I'm a good reader. Every time I tried to read it, it made no sense to me. It was gobbledygook. I'm like, what is this? Then my church had an old-fashioned revival, and they brought in an old-fashioned evangelist. And some of you remember this. And for six nights, six Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then Monday through Friday, so one morning, six nights, he preached the gospel. Gospel, gospel, gospel. And I went to, I didn't have to. Sat in a hard pew with my buddies, drove my Ford Fiesta, my party on wheels to the church, um, 17 years of age, um, on the outside, I appeared as though I had everything. On the inside, I was a mess. And he preached the gospel for six nights. And on the sixth night, I all of a sudden had language for what it meant to be born again. I couldn't wait to get out of my pew. It was hard. But also, because I wanted to give my life to Jesus. My pastor met me at the altar, and he asked me if I was ready to give my life to Jesus. And I said, you've heard this, I am a sinner, and I desperately need a Savior. Now, between you and me, I, I, I'm pretty sure I was born again sitting in the pew. Talking to my pastor just gave me words for what God had already done. Funny story. He said, go home and start reading the book of John. It's in the New Testament. I got home and I couldn't remember what book he said, but I knew it started with a J. So the first book I ever read um, was the book of James. Uh, James was a rude awakening to my new life in Jesus. (laughs) This is my very first Bible. Um, It's old. (laughs) This is it. Um, You can't see it anymore, but it says Lee Epstein. Uh, It's leather, which I was like, why would this dude I barely know give me a leather book? And he had my name inscribed on it, and next to it was a fish. I found it later. It's called an ichthus. I'm like, what's going on? And I would take it out and read it, take it out and read it. I'm like, I don't understand it. Put it back in the box. Put it up on my shelf in my room. Right next to a poster of an inappropriate, scantily clad woman was my Bible sitting right there. I'm still trying to figure this out. Bible, scantily clad woman. I don't know. That night, I knew. I went home. I thought it was um, James, not John. And I began to read the book of James. Um, You can't see it. I should have taken a picture. This is the book of James. It's all pink. You say, why would you highlight with a pink highlighter? Were you breast cancer awareness back then? No. No. I came home that night, began to read the book of James, and my world was rocked. And before it wasn't rocked. It was rocked. And my mom was sitting in the living room where she always would sit. She wasn't a believer, right in her spot on the couch. And uh, I said, Mom, I'm reading the Bible. She said, oh, that's good. I said, it's changing my life. That's great, honey. I said, I don't want to ruin the Bible, but there's things that I want to underline, but I don't want to take a pen to it. She goes, let me give you a highlighter. I said, what's a highlighter? I know, I'm pretty pathetic. She goes, well, you can mark things but still see through it. And all she had was a pink highlighter. That was it. I said, I'll take it. I don't care. Now with my new born again heart, I couldn't get enough of the Bible. What was going on? The spirit of God who wrote the Bible now lived in me and gave me a desire to read and study the Bible. And and I confess this. It's hard to put into words because it's an experience. It's like eating ice cream. If you knew I'd get to a food analogy, right? If you've never had it, it's hard to tell you what it's like until you try it, until you experience it. 
well, it's soft and it's sweet and it's, it's from heaven. It's the greatest thing ever. You know? When you've been born again, you change and you're changed and you're changing. You're not perfect. But like we talked about a few weeks ago, when you're born again, you're always asking the question, what's my next step, Jesus? You go through seasons that are hard. You have some doubts. You get frustrated. Maybe you let sin take over for a while and you quench Holy Spirit. But if you're truly a child of God, you work through that. You confess that. And you say, Jesus, what's my next step? Um, the Bible uses a, a lot of language to articulate this newfound faith in Jesus, this born againness. Born again, regeneration, new heart, new self, partakers of the divine nature, new creation, new man, new woman, alive together in Christ. If you are a Christian here this morning, please hear this. You are all of those things. And, but you got to hear this too. And you know it. And you know it. Verse 9, John chapter 3. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Now, Nicodemus is still confused. And then Jesus again says, you are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? Now, do I believe that uh, the Bible is, is truly, totally, completely God's word? Y yes, I do. Um, yet, um, we can know the Bible and not know Jesus. Let me remind us, Nicodemus had memorized the at least the first five books of the Old Testament, but he didn't know Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, you have to know the Bible. But you can know the Bible and not know Jesus. The whole point of the Bible is Jesus. That's why when I hear heresy like, well, Old Testament God was mean and angry, and New Testament God is Jesus, Jesus is the God of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Remember, we did the story of God. He's in the beginning of the story. He's in the middle. He's in the end. The whole Bible is about Jesus. We're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal someone's thunder. Maybe it's me. I'm not sure if I'm teaching this or not. I should know, but I'm not sure. A couple chapters later in John chapter 5, Jesus is again debating with Pharisees, with religious teachers. Right? And he's debating who he is. And this is what he says. Take a look behind me. John chapter 5, verse 39. He says to these guys, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about who? Me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have this life. Nicodemus knows the Bible, but he doesn't know Jesus. That's the issue. If you're born again, you have a desire to know the Bible, and you know who the hero of the Bible is. It's Jesus. 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 I've had a crazy, mad love affair for, fit, for 41 years now with Jesus. I wake up thinking about Jesus. Throughout the day, I think about Jesus. When I go to bed, I pray and I think about, when I read the, I think about, I can't stop thinking about Jesus. 
Jesus. Verse 11, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still um, you people do not accept our testimony. Verse 12, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of, of heavenly? You can't handle the basics. You can't handle 101. How do I go to 501 you, if I speak of heavenly things? Jesus chastises Nicodemus for his lack of understanding. Jesus said, we, we tell you what we know and have seen, and you, you don't even believe our testimony. Now, there is debate about um, who this we refers to. Some believe Jesus was referring to the Trinity, though he doesn't typically speak um, that way. Others think it refers to Jesus and his disciples. Most likely, the majority of biblical scholars, however, believe that Jesus is talking about the witness of both himself and the Old Testament prophets. We, meaning me, and all these guys you've devoted your life to studying. The point is the religious leaders refuse to listen to anyone's testimony but their own. Do you know anybody like that? This was their major issue. It wasn't that Nicodemus or, or the other religious leaders were unable to hear the truth. Uh, it was that they were unwilling to do anything with that truth. They had a narrative. It was already set. I'm not going to let scriptures get in the way of what I already believe. Jesus makes one more effort um, to help Nicodemus un understand God's overarching plan. Verse 13, um, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. And it's almost like a pause. And he says, the son of man. Um, yeah, there it is. And you're like, where did, did, it, wh where did that come from? That seems arbitrary. Wh what? Jesus refers to himself as the son of man 70 plus times in the New Testament. It's his favorite self-designation. Why? Because it comes out of Daniel 7, and it talks about God coming into human history as a man. It is a clear declaration of his divinity. So when he said that to Nicodemus, he threw down. All the scriptures are about me. And oh, by the way, here's why they're about me. I'm the son of man. I've come from God. I'm God. Mic drop. And he does this often because he knows they need to hear that. Jesus refers to himself as the son of man 70 plus times. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This is that is a reference to the cross in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. I recommend you read it in the Old Testament. In Numbers 21, because of their complaining and rebelling against God, um, the people of Israel were being bitten by hundreds of poisonous snakes. God sent them, which suddenly appeared in the camp in the wilderness, and, and they were dying by the scores. Moses was told to take a pole, put a brass serpent on the top of it, lift up the pole. It would be a symbol of salvation. Only if, as that pole was lifted up and they looked to that brass serpent, only if by faith they believed they would be healed by looking at that brass serpent. Jesus says, that's a picture of me. I will be made sin. That's what a serpent always stands for, sin. I'll be made sin and lifted up to die. And when that happens, if you look at me on the cross... And by faith, believe that I'm dying for you in your place. God will forgive your sins, verse 15, and you'll receive eternal life. Man, Nicodemus was like, what the? 
as we finish this morning, let me just make a statement that I think summarizes our text. Because this is a lot. I want you to see this. There's a superficial belief that can keep people from real faith. I'm going to use an illustration here that, you know, because of the times we're in, make you, might make you feel a little uncomfortable. But just bear with me. Um, this superficial belief can work like an immunization. And maybe for some of you, that's what you've had. You've prayed the prayer. You've walked the aisle. You've checked the card, raised the hand, went to the class, grew up in a Christian home. And you're like Nicodemus. You're religious. You present well. But have you been born again? Have you been born from above? Have you been infected with, with gospel virus? Again, in this metaphor, this is a good virus. A life-giving one. And, and a virus, especially a significant one, changes us. When the gospel goes to work in us, it should change us as well. So, this is too important not to go a little deeper. I'll fly through these, but this is really important. This is encouraging. What are some evidences that you've been born again? This should encourage you, not discourage you. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you don't sin. Doesn't mean at times, as I said earlier, you struggle and you got to come back. We're all that way. Sometimes you have a prodigal heart. You got to come back, but you always come back. Here are just four. There's many. I've I edited it down to four. These are signs that, hey, I'm born again. Number one, there's a deep awareness of a need that we cannot solve on our own. The first thing God does in the heart of someone is make them aware of how helpless they are. That's the first thing I said to my pastor at the altar 40 years ago, 41 years ago. I'm a sinner. I can't save. I desperately need a savior. The born again person knows they cannot save themselves. They bring nothing to the table. Well, my fam, well, I'm really smart. Nothing. They need God to save them. Number two, um, being born again should be the most obvious thing about you. I'm speaking to you now as if you're a believer. Here's a clue. If you're around someone for a, um, a good while and, and then they tell you you're a Christian and you're surprised, that person most likely is not born again. The person who has Holy Spirit in them, that's the definition of a true believer, is aware of the fact that something is happening in them they cannot explain. There are real changes taking place. They do not become perfect, but they do become different. It took, I don't know, about five seconds for my mom and my stepdad to go, what's got into you? We'll see if it lasts. My dad went, okay, something's different. You're trying hard in school. You're making your bed. You're... You're not, part, but I'll, they knew something had changed. Number three, the truly born again person will read the Bible with new eyes and a new hunger. Suddenly things um, slowly begin to make sense. The fog starts to, to clear. Now the Bible is no longer a textbook to be endured, but it's a communication from the living God that we want to understand and respond to. Number four, um, we'll begin to have a genuine love for other believers. 
By the way, John who wrote this gospel went on to write 1 John. Do you remember what he said in 1 John? If you say you love God, but you don't love your brother or sister, what did he say? The love of the Father isn't in you. Yeah, but they did me wrong. But yeah, I grew up in a bad family. But yeah, they're mean. But yeah, they, God understands if I don't forget. God says if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're going to make things right. It's a strange thing when we come to Christ. We feel an instant connection and interest in others who likewise follow him. We may have just met, but we're connected. Indifference becomes a thing of the past, and this connection leads to a love that's beyond description. 